On this week's episode, we are talking financial aid and we are talking college costs. Now, this one is going to help me out as much as it's going to help you out because I have twins that are in 11th grade and I'm hoping to learn some tricks that can help me save on some college expenses. Hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to this week's episode. And I'm really excited because I'm hoping to learn something today, too, because I have twins that are juniors in high school. And uh, we're talking with Seth Green today. And uh, Seth Green is the founder of the nationally recognized college financial aid firm on how to find money for college and where to help parents to cut the cost of college tuition by $19,077 per year per child. So I'm interested to learn about this. So, hey, Seth, how are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. Well, great, great. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And and I enjoyed being on uh, being on your show. So student loans are one of those topics you just hear so much about lately. And and it's it's really crippling for to hear what how some people are graduating college with literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans and the corresponding just debt every month that can be crippling and stifling. So financial aid is super important. How did you get into like the financial aid area? What makes you an expert? So two different questions. How I got into the financial aid was when I went to undergrad, you know, several decades ago. Every single semester, my dad would call me and tell me he couldn't afford Syracuse University anymore. And then I would have to come home, transfer, get a job, work at, live at home, work at home, work, get a job, do chores, all kinds of things. Not fun at all. Right. So by the time I graduated, in addition to the degree I went for, I had also put together, because it didn't exist at the time, some education in college financial aid, because I said, there's got to be a better way than driving mm -hmm. your kid nuts every semester. That's how I started. What makes me an expert in this? I've been doing it for 24 years. We've literally helped thousands of families. We've worked with over 800 colleges, every single Ivy League school. And as you mentioned, our claim to fame is we cut the cost of tuition, $19,077 per year. That's a pretty bold, uh, bold claim right there. So I'm going to be interested to hear some more, some more details about that. Like I said, I have twins that are juniors in high school, so... We want to do everything possible to, to where our kids can graduate with 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 no debt. Unless, of course, they stop walking the straight and narrow, then maybe they should have a little bit of skin in the game. But yeah, so this is interesting. So literally, what's the most important number when it comes to financial aid? Most important number is the expected family contribution, or the government has renamed it the student aid index. That is in the latest law. That is the magic number that the government thinks you can afford to pay for college. It's always more than you think you can afford to pay, but sure. it's the government's calculation. And all financial aid is based on that number. So whether it is merit-based aid, because your kid aced the SATs and has a perfect GPA, they can't get any unless you have that number and fill out those forms. And you that's the FAFSA, correct? There's two financial aid forms. There's the FAFSA for public colleges and the CSS profile for private colleges. If you're only applying to public school, you only need the FAFSA. If you're applying to private, you need both. And the answers have to match. So without the EFC, you can't get any merit money for being smart or being in extracurriculars. You can't get any need-based money based on your financial situation. You can't get any athletic scholarships 
They literally can't give you a dime unless you have that number from filling out those forms. Well, when does the FAFSA need to be filled out? What year? And also, like for someone who's just never done it before, does it take hours and hours? Talk to me just about that process. So up until now, the FAFSA was you the first day you were able to submit it was October 1st of your child's senior year. Okay. So all things being equal, financial aid's first come, first serve. So if I fill it out at 9 a.m. Eastern time on October 1st and you fill it out in December, if our kids are exactly the same, I'll get more free money than you will. Wow. Now the government has screwed this up and they are trying to no. they are trying to simplify the FAFSA. It was about 139 questions. The government said we want to cut it to about 30 to 40. And the FAFSA Simplification Act has now pushed the FAFSA for this year till December. So you can't even fill out the FAFSA now. You have to wait till the new FAFSA comes out. Hopefully in December, though, we're kind of skeptical they're going to get it done by then, which is also going to create a logistical nightmare in terms of admissions because you can't accept an offer if you don't have a financial aid award. Now, the CSS profile is a lot more complicated for private schools. It's about 540 questions. It's worse than doing your tax return. It asks for a whole lot more details because that's for private school. That's still due next week. You can still submit that October 1st, but you got to wait for the public school form for a couple more months. Wow. So does the FAFSA require like the exact amounts of what my investment accounts might have or, or ballparks? Does it require my exact income? Does it require a copy of my tax return? It is going, the way the government has it set up right now, it will automatically suck your income numbers from your most recent tax return from the IRS. So it's interesting that you mentioned suck and income in the same sentence, because uh, sometimes my income does suck. Well, I meant it the other way. I meant because of that, Sometimes the numbers we report on our tax return aren't necessarily the same numbers we would want to report for financial aid. Mm -hmm. The other issue is because there's now two different dates, if you're filling out the CSS in October and the FAFSA in December, your investment values are going to change, sure. but they can't. Whatever you write down, if you're filling out the CSS forms today, you need to write down all those numbers because you need to report the same things in December when you do the FAFSA, because if they don't match, the government computer system will think that's an error and kick you back out of the queue and you'll have to fix your forms, redo them, and then you re resubmit and now you're at the bottom of the pile again. Okay. So let's say you have two people with, with kind of identical kids. One has a $500,000 a year salary and basically no, no assets. The other one has you know $10 million of assets, but they don't work. So they have no salary which one would get more aid? Is it more income driven or is it more asset driven? So you said kids. So I don't think too many kids have $10 million and no I'm asset. sorry, parents. You meant parents. parents. If, they, if the $500,000 of income is W-2 income and the $10 million of assets is all taxable, they're both screwed. However, part of our service is the EFC formula is manipulatable. The system is gameable. So if we can change the way you receive income, if we can change how your assets are held and effectively make some of that money disappear, we literally had a case where we had a client with $10 million that we qualified for need-based financial aid because of where we moved the money. Wow. Yeah, I'm always a proponent of, of we don't know what we don't know, and we need to work with experts who, who know th those things. So filling out a FAFSA may not be rocket science, but if there are some ways that it can be legally and, and within the rules manipulated, 
then then I'm all for working with experts uh, like like yourself. So that's that's pretty really cool. So what's the second most important uh, number when it comes to financial aid? When they put together their financial aid offers, every school has what they call a percentage of need met. So the formula is retail sticker price of the school, which you shouldn't pay, minus your expected family contribution equals your financial need, your gap. What percentage of that gap the school will meet will make a huge difference in how much you end up paying on a net basis for your child to go to that school. So if you've got a public school down the street from me, like SUNY Buffalo and a New York public school, and they meet 50% of your need, but 80% of that 50 is loans. So that's not free money, but the schools call it aid. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get very much. Now, if you have the same student headed to, let's say, Harvard, where they will meet 100% of your need, and let's say 90-something percent of that is free money, grants and scholarships you never have to pay back, in a, I have this conversation with parents every single day who think, oh, we can't afford those expensive private schools. I'm like, actually, they might end up cheaper than the public school down the street. Hmm. Because think about it, those big private schools have billion-dollar endowment funds they have to give away. Right. The local public schools, ha a lot of them don't have much need-based financial money, but these Syracuse's, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Georgetown, wherever, Carnegie Mellon, all of those expensive private schools have endowment funds that they have to give away. So literally, I can get, if my son could get in, I can get him to MIT for within a couple thousand dollars a year of what the cost of going down the street would be. Okay. So when we're not talking about the big, big, big name Ivy League schools and the MITs of the world, do you think that it matters where, where your degree comes from? In other words, if you get kind of a state degree or if you go to a, a school that costs a lot, lot more money, does the school matter? I've, you know, my wife and I kind of debate about this, that I think, you know, to some extent, a degree is a degree, uh, again, unless it's Harvard, you know, and other people say, well, you should go to the best possible school that you can get into. And you know, is it worth racking up that much more debt if you can't get financial aid, just have a more prestigious degree? It depends on what career field you're trying to get into. So for example, I'll give you two actual clients. We had a kid who wanted to go to Hartset on NYU, which is not cheap and notoriously stingy with need-based financial aid. And he was prepared. His parents like, we're not paying for that. He's like, I'll borrow the $300,000. No, I'll pay it back the rest of my life. That's fine. I want to go to NYU. And I said, what do you want to study? And what do you want to do with your life? He said, well, at the moment, I want to be a, an art lawyer. I said, okay. I didn't know that was a thing. I'm like, so that means you got to go to law school, right? Yes. I said, wouldn't it be better to go to a much, much cheaper undergrad and then go to an expensive brand name law school because the law firm that hires you isn't going to care where you went to undergrad. They're only going to care where your law degree came from. He's like, well, that's a good point. And his parents were like, see, we tried to tell you. Now, I couldn't change his mind anyway. And he went to NYU and he ended up pay overpaying. But the concept of the law firm that hires you, law medical practice that hires you, some of them won't care where your undergrad came from if you have to go to grad school. And there are a lot of degrees where it might not matter that much. However, is my son going to get a better job at a higher salary doing data science for an investment bank, which is his life goal at the moment, having gone to MIT versus SUNY Buffalo? For sure. I mm -hmm. think he will make more money. He will make more connections that he will be able to leverage throughout his career. 
where he might not make the same living at home, going to a state school. Gotcha. No, that makes that makes a uh, that makes a it lot depends of on what you want to do with the rest of your life. Sure. And that's kind of a hard thing to know when you're 17 and 18 years old. Um, right. It, those are some some big, big decisions. And I know I'm in South Carolina and in the South, football is a big deal. And a lot of college decisions are made based on the football team for people who don't play football. And and I think that is a, a big mistake. Clemson University is right near near us. Normally a really, really great football team, but you know, I don't think you should base your your education decisions based on if the football team's been good for the last decade. So any I, I like, agree any, like Syracuse basketball school, right? I mean, what what do you think about the sports? I did not go to Syracuse for the basketball and the football teams. I did partake in the experience. I did get mm-hmm. to go to a, you know, you know, a final four. It wasn't it was awesome, but did it change what I did with my career the rest of my life? Of course not. Had nothing to do with it. Was it fun? For sure. Would I have I went there for the degree I wanted, not for the sports. So we have this when we try and figure out the right fit school for a child, not counting the financial aid part, we do have to have a discussion. Do you want big city? Do you want rural? Do you want suburban? Do you want small liberal arts? Do you want a giant school with 60,000 kids in it? So all of those come into play. And I've had that conversation with kids who are like, I'm going to go to a Big Ten school or whatever. I want to go to the games. It's fun. That's technically not really what the degree is for and what your college experience is supposed to just be but if you're willing to pay for that and you can understand what kind of financial sacrifice that might be making more power to you but there are kids that that is really important to it wouldn't be high on my list of decision making factors but every every family every child is different yeah no that makes that makes a lot of sense because college in addition to the degree and and your training, it also is an important part of your life. So so having that four years of of, of a great experience like you did to go to a Final Four is great. But if there is a financial situation where it's a huge stretch to go to a school like that, maybe it's not worth borrowing money. You know, so just a, a really really big personal decision that we all have to uh, have to think about. For sure. Hey, so let's take a quick break from the podcast. My biggest job as a financial advisor is to help my clients to sleep at night. So if there's anything that's keeping you up at night, whether it's college costs, whether it's market fluctuations, the fear of overpaying in taxes, or even that you've not heard from your current financial advisor in a while, you can set your appointment with me by going to my website, go to www.weeklywealthpodcast.com, click on the contact us button at the top, That'll take you to my calendar. And from there, you can schedule your 30-minute appointment. It really is that simple. And now let's get back to the podcast. Any changes to to financial aid recently by the government that that we need to talk about that that our listeners would, would find important? There's a lot. The government has changed a ton in the last month, let alone the last year or two since covid So the two biggest ones are, it used to be if you had multiple kids in school at the same time, like your twins, their ages overlap, they'll be four years in the same time. It used to be your expected family contribution got divided by the number of kids in school at the same time. So if your FC was 50 grand, it used to be 25 grand per kid. And that was what your aid was based on. They got rid of that exemption. It was called the multiple student discount. Now it's not divided at all. So if your EFC is 50 grand, it's now 50 grand per kit. Can you call them and tell them to change that in the next two years? We have a petition on change.org that has about 75,000 parent signatures, but they haven't fixed the law yet. 
Okay. Well, tell them that uh, it needs to be fixed in the next two years um, for my sake. I, I need it fixed in the, well, my son is two years older than my daughter. So you need it fixed next year. I need it fixed two and a half years from now. Okay. Yeah. Well, just get right on that. I appreciate it. We're working on it. The other biggest change was it used to be if you had a, a small business with under 100 employees, it didn't count as a financial asset, which is wonderful for small business owners. The government got rid of that exemption coming on the FAFSA Simplification Act. So in December, you will have to report, even if you have zero employees, you will have to report the valuation of your small business. And that will count against you for financial aid, which begs the question, who decides how much your business is worth? That was my next question. And how on earth is the federal government going to regulate? Are your answers accurate and how would they know? And they also got rid of it. Used to be if you had a farm, a family farm, that didn't count against you. Now that does. And you're going to have to report the value of your family farm, which again says, who decides how much your farm is worth? Consider it. Does the equipment count? Does the land retail value of the land count? Do the buildings, does your barn count? On one hand, you've got Biden promising, I want free college for everybody. And then on the other hand, they're taking away all of these things to make it a whole lot more expensive to go to college. So it doesn't actually make any sense. And it's going to cause a logistical and financial nightmare of who decides how much your asset, your business, or your farm is worth. How do they regulate that? And there's 19 million freshmen every year. How many parents own businesses or farms that are now going to be going, how am I supposed to decide what this is worth? So let me clarify. So I own a business. My business pays me a salary, and I also, in theory, take some profit distribution sometimes. So the salary would be recorded as income, and then whatever my business is worth, and we could debate what it's worth, I actually have a tool that could help that that's not related to financial aid, that's going to be counted against me as well. So that's kind of a double whammy. Exactly. Okay. Well, if you can get that one changed also in the next two years, I'd <laughs> We're appreciate working it. On, well, 72 hours after the law was an, change was announced that the small business and farm exemption went away, six senators, three from each each party, created a new bill to put the exemption back, but it hasn't passed yet. So they feel our pain at least somewhat. Yeah, it. it I don't mind paying for what you know, I rightly, rightfully should pay for, but that certainly does seem like a double hit, you know, because my income and the, and it's not a liquid asset. I mean, I couldn't sell right. my business that's to you the, tomorrow. That's the other controversy yeah. is, yeah. hey, let's pretend I'm going to make this up. Your business is worth $2 million and that's the number you put into the FAFSA. You just lost all your financial aid and they're going to say, well, you now owe us, you now can afford an extra, maybe the number $80,000 a year in college expenses. And you're right. going to say, where? I'm already taking every penny out of the business that I that it can sustain. Right. Where do you expect me to go get this extra 80 grand just because I own a $2 million asset? I can't sell it. Sure. If I had a $2 million stock portfolio, I could just click a button and sell, sell some of it and pay tuition with it. But with the business, I can't do that. So Right. And you wouldn't necessarily want to sell that $2 million portfolio anyway. So tell me a little bit about like, how does your relationship with a new family who might be interested in your service? Like, how does that look? What do they do? What services do you provide? And let's just walk through that. So we will crunch their numbers and find out what that expected family contribution number is now. We, if they don't change anything, we'll run a financial aid analysis of their top one or two dream schools so that they know what they're on the hook for if nothing changes. We'll tell them if they can, if there's anything that can be done to change the situation, make it better. 
And that is our college cost analysis. We normally charge $197 for that 30-minute analysis. For our for your folks who are watching or listening to your show, they can get it for free and we'll tell you how in just a minute. And then when families choose to actually work with us, we will do all the financial aid forms for them so they literally don't have to touch anything. When these That's schools, big because paperwork really stinks. I mean, it really is just no fun. Agree. We will do the paperwork when the schools engage in financial aid leveraging and under award them. They try and give you a low ball offer because if you accept it, it's free profit to the school. We will handle those appeals. And then if the appeals fail, we will literally call every school and negotiate for, for, for more money. So you said kind of the dream schools. What if my dream school, again, as a 16 or 17 year old is just a football school? And that's not really a good fit as far as academics and would you provide some other guidance on maybe what a better fit school would be based on my academic goals? Yes, we're going to help. We're going to interview the student. We're going to interview the parents. We're going to help them pick, hey, let's look at your GPA. Let's look at your extracurriculars. Let's look at your test scores. Let's look at everything you got going on and what you want to do with your life supposedly at 17 or 18. And then let's interview you and talk about big city rural, urban, suburban, big school, small school, small class size, giant lecture hall, life on campus, all that stuff mm -hmm. to help you figure out what is the best fit socially, what is the best fit academically, and what is the best fit financially where they're going to give you the most money. Okay. I love it. And again, that's something that people don't know. And in my neck of the woods, really what most people know about any college is their football team. And and that's, again, not not a great reason to choose a school if you're not playing uh, playing football. So, so yeah, so you're making a pretty generous offer. Tell us how to kind of find out more about that and claim that and how, how anybody could contact you and, and, and walk us down that path. Absolutely. So the offers at howtofindmoneyforcollege.com forward slash training. If you register there, you can watch, I think it's almost a two hour webinar that we did for a couple hundred parents with myself, our accountant and tax expert, and our admissions counselor, teaching the secrets to college admissions, financial aid, and tax reduction. And then you can go ahead and claim that $197 discount so that your college cost analysis is free. That's at howtofindmoneyforcollege.com forward slash training. Or you can just email me, Seth, at howtofindmoneyforcollege.com and mention that David and Parallel Financial sent you. Perfect. No, I love it. And I, I would encourage any anybody to check that out. You know, we're potentially looking at thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of of savings and, and scholarships and everything else per year. So that's um Yeah, because our average is nineteen thousand seventy seven dollars a year times four years is eighty grand. You got more than one kid. You got two sure. kids, that's hundred and sixty. You got three sure. kids, yeah. Over a quarter million dollars. Have you ever told anybody, you know what? I mean, just based on what you're saying. I don't know that four-year degree is right for you. I mean, there, there are tech schools, there are trades and things where you can go almost for free and, and make a lot of money right out of school. Have you ever told someone or, or kind of steered them away from a four-year degree? It's rare, but yes. So we've had one or two kids over the last 24 years where we didn't think they were ready. Mm -hmm. So we've had, you know, one that went, sent one to community college sure. to take cheap, basic academic you know, the prereqs you need for anything, get those out of the way at someplace cheap while you figure out what you want to do. And then we did have one young woman who ended up going to cosmetology school because that was what she really wanted to do anyway. Sure. No, like and you don't need a six figure four year degree to go do that. You can go local, go cheap and start your career. I love it. No, I think that's that's great out of the box advice. If you had a crystal ball 
what would you think are going to happen with current student loans? Do you think they're going to be forgiven? Do you think they won't be? Is that not possible to know? And I, I see both sides of it. Any insight from your perspective on that? So you're looking at a political hot potato because obviously Absolutely. the idea of, ooh, you won't have to pay some of your money back buys votes of young adults who mm-hmm. don't want to have to pay. Hey, that'd be great. It's free money. Right. But if you think about who's going to pay for that, Mm-hmm. It's a trade-off, right? Then all our taxes right. go up even more. Our taxes have to double to keep pace with the national debt anyway, not counting college debt. And then what happens to all the people who didn't graduate in the right time window? You know, oh, right. I graduated six years ago. I don't get free money. Or it was mm-hmm. 10 years ago. And what about the people upcoming who are in school, who are going to be in school in two years? How does it work? So I think economically, I don't think you can do it. I don't think it makes financial sense. Will they do some of it anyway? We're coming up on an election cycle. I don't know if the law will be passed by the time there's an election, but I guarantee you the Democrats will make for whatever your political feelings are. They're going to make a big push to try and say, look, we're trying to give you money and those evil Republicans won't let us. And the Republicans are going to say, well, the evil Democrats are trying to give everything for free and we can't do that. And so it'll be a political tool for sure. So um so, so just like a politician, you just literally didn't answer the question. I love it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> My crystal ball is a little, I do have one, but it's a little murky. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, we are the Weekly Wealth Podcast, and we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that can help you to build and maintain wealth. So I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but Seth Green, I'd like to know your definition of wealth. So what does wealth mean to you, to your family, and to the people that you care about in life? Being able to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, and not having to worry about the price. I love it. That's really, really, really simple. Having options. And most people answer that question with some sort of freedom, which is a, which is a good thing. So awesome. So I will put it in the show notes, but um, www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com slash training. Uh, check out that webinar. A lot of great information to learn about financial aid if you have a child going to college. At what age should they watch that video? What, what high school year is a good time to watch that video? Sooner the better. It depends. The more time we have to move assets, if they're movable or restructure income, the bigger an impact we can have. If you show up two weeks before the FAFSA's due, makes our job a lot harder. We can't necessarily pull off a miracle and we're good, but we're not always that fast. Like we need some prep time. So normal normal time is junior, uh, starting junior year. Um, my ideal time is freshman or, freshman or sophomore year. Can we pull off Hail Marys for kids who are seniors or who are about to head off to college? Depends on the situation. It's not ideal. Again, freshman, sophomore, junior year is the best. Okay. So like anything else, the, the, the more time to work on it, it gives uh, gives more time. And tell me your email address one more time. Seth at howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. Awesome. Great deal. Well, this was cool. If, if you have kids that are sophomores, juniors in college, make sure to check it out. This is a huge decision where to go to school, how to pay for school. It has long lasting implications literally for the rest of your kid's life and also for your own retirement and everything else. These are huge expenses. So www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com slash training. And Seth, I really appreciate uh, your time. This was interesting for me and I may check it out myself. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Great. Hey, everybody. So until next episode, we wish everybody a blessed week. Thanks, Seth. Thank you. 
The information contained herein included but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other materials obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. These materials are provided for informational purposes only and should not be used for or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of any future results.